This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, Derek Bona, a chef from Nova Scotia around Halifax, shares his incredibly raw, honest, and his weight loss journey with us here on the Shift. He's received some extra motivation from the Terminator, too. Arnold Schwarzenegger retweeted and commented on his stuff. He's done amazing things, and I promise you the conversation will inspire you. Lawyer and democracy advocate Stephen Berko updates us from Kiev. Rockets landed yesterday in Kiev and around Ukraine. He helps us understand why Ukraine's spring offensive is still on hold and how his young family tries to enjoy life in springtime in Ukraine despite the war. And are you okay with American Pie, the song, and how about being a super fan of a super fan? It's good stuff, and it's all coming up on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. One of the things we try to do here on the Shift is is really dig into personal stories, right? When you share your stories with us, that's the good stuff. Uh, One of my biggest pieces that you'll hear me say probably ad nauseum here on the shift, if you listen often is, you know, the real gift that's given is your listening. My speaking has said one time, your listening is given back thousands of times every day. And so really when we sit and we offer you and invite you to be a part of the show, it's your listening. That's really the gift. And that's where we go next. We're going to Nova Scotia. Derek Bona is here. And um, Derek's just a dude who's trying to do a thing. I think that's a that's probably a safe thing to say, isn't it, Derek? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so Derek has had um, some inspiration come into his life from a very surprising source. And that's kind of what caught our attention was, was this conversation about exactly that. Um, Derek, help us understand, because I think there are so many people listening – now in their own version of your story where you started where you're at and i will uh, confess and share with everybody right now i'm going through this too right now now my story is different than yours uh for the scope of it but i'm going through it as well so tell tell us uh, what you've been up to well uh on a on a journey to rewrite my life i guess you could say uh it hasn't i as a young kid growing up in, uh, you know, rural Cape Breton, uh, you know, food has been always a big part of my life and, uh, cooking with my family. family. Yeah. Like cooking with my grandmother <laughs> from the time I was like five, right up until uh, when she passed away, like in my early thirties, uh, you know, uh, just enjoyed everything about it. Food gave me comfort. It gave me a sense of family. It gave me everything I needed. Uh, it's what I made a career out of as well. I went to uh, Culinary Institute of Canada in Charlottetown, PEI, in twenty uh, in two thousand. Graduated, became a chef. I'm a chef still currently, uh, twenty three years in. So my love for food has taken me in many different paths in my life, um, good and and bad. The um, good, you know, I had opportunity to to like run my own restaurants. I had to uh, do catering, so catering for people, make people feel good about the food I create and, and whatnot. But then food also had a negative side. Um, this industry isn't, isn't an easy one by any means. Uh, long hours, you don't have holidays, loved ones that I'm used to cooking with. It, it, that kind of went in the side burner because I had to focus on my career choice. 
and it just kind of snowballed over my career. Um, I use food as now it's as a comfort thing. I hide a lot of uh, ne negative feelings, emotional feelings. Um, it made it was one of the only things that made me feel good, but it, this time it was in a different way, and uh, it took a real toll on my life, uh, health wise, mentally, physically, emotionally. Um, so you know, um, in January I had uh, kind of a, a I don't know if it's like an epiphany or whatever it is. I was feeling pretty. Mm -hmm. You had that moment. <laughs> yeah, I had that moment. Like, uh, I was always battling with depression, with anxiety, everything like that. Um, as I told you, just mentioned to the listeners, uh, you know, I use food as a, as a comfort thing. I did a lot of things with, that I'm not proud of, a lot of things that I had to open up about before I started my journey. So basically, uh, mm -hmm. in January, I took a dump outside. A dump is in the fall. Uh, and I couldn't. <laughs> and I couldn't pick myself back up. I was rolling yeah. around the mud like a like a beach whale. Yeah. And uh, it's Paris report. Well, you're a big fella. I'm a big right? fella. I'm six. Uh, well, I'm six hundred pounds. At the high, heaviest, I was six hundred pounds. Um, and that was uh, in the January of this year. Um, so with that fall, I had people pulling over, wanting to help me up, and I couldn't help myself. I'm like 41 years old. Why can't, you know, why am I able to do this? Well, the reason was because I put myself off for so long. Um, and I choose not to, I chose at that time not to talk about anything. I just kind of went on my business, knowing full fact that I had a problem. But it just, I don't know if it's a lack of confidence or what it was, but it, um, depression and a lot of evil thoughts take over your mind, right? Um, you know, and then. I go through that too, by the way. I'm going to take this opportunity yeah. to stand with you is that uh, one of my big struggles that I go through, it's just some patterning of negative thinking. Yeah. Um, in some of my study, which I did the Hoffman process, which I recommend for everybody, um, they call it the dark road. And you kind of add a fork in the road and every moment in life you have a choice. Yeah. And sometimes your default is just to go there and you forget that we have a choice in those moments. I mean, uh, the morning of this conversation, Derek, yeah. I went to bed last night, positive, prepped for the day. I woke up the, in the morning feeling exhausted, uh, feeling just negative default. And, and I, I acknowledge that part because not all negative thinking is catastrophic negative thinking. Some of it is, but a lot of it is just beat up negative self-talk. And I'm going to just acknowledge that too, just so everyone else hears it that goes through it. Uh, we're with you. Yeah, it, it's crazy. It's like you hold yourself to a high standards of things, and then I don't know if it just over the years you feel like you're not hitting these standards or meeting what your expectations, what you think that you're able to do. Yeah, they're not even attainable. Yeah. Like the amount of things in a day that I think I can get done in a day, I'm learning this now at 47, that the amount of things I can get done in a day and the amount of things I think I can get done in a day there is a wide disparity of what is healthy and even possible. And I'm trying to retrain my brain into enjoying the two or three things I get done in a day instead of telling me myself I'm wrong because I didn't get 20 things done in a day. And that's just a simple piece of life. So as an example of what you're talking about. Yeah, 100%. And uh, you then, like, like as you're saying, you kind of get stuck into a hole and you get stuck into a system while... Um, this is what makes me feel good right now. And this is what I'm going to keep going to because uh, it gives me some kind yeah. of comfort and 
and whatnot. So it's it's an escape hatch, right? That one moment where you can just escape from the crappy feeling yeah. it, just for a moment, get a reset. It's an easy way out, you know. Like it, it yeah. when you when you know the other ways where you need to go, but this way it's like, well, this is an easy way out. This is going to put a blank. Can you give me one example, Derek? Like I, one of mine is popcorn. Yeah. I, always. Um, is that I will always go to popcorn. And now of all the, the bad crutches, that, that's not a terrible one. But, you know, uh, it's a lot of salt, a lot of, you know, stuff like salty foods. So stuff like that. What's an example of yours? Because everyone will, we all have one. So let's connect there. Pizza was, is definitely, was always my comfort spot. Yeah, I, just go to pizza. I order pizza and I would find every excuse in the book to order a pizza, whether it was, I would say my wife, I was tired. I worked all day. Let's just order pizza. Like it was quick, not because it was quick and easy and I wanted to get some. I wanted the pizza. It needed the pizza. It was just needed. an obsession. Well, you told yourself. Yeah. And you told yourself you needed it anyway. And right? I would have, you know, like two, three pizza. I'd wait for my family to uh, get their slices first. And I would always go last and I would wait. And then I would have a piece while I'm dishing out my other pieces. And then. Mm-hmm. At nighttime, when everything was put away, there was leftovers. I thought about that pizza the whole night. I said, I need to be the first one up in the morning to get those slices of pizza before anybody else. I need wow. to have that. was just my body. My That's what the headspace was taking over to tell me that, Derek, you need those pizzas. And I didn't need those pizzas, but the addiction prior to things came in. And like, this, is what's making, this is what's going to make you feel good. You need to grab those pizzas. So, And, uh, and with that behavior, too, I... You know, every time, like, the next morning my wife would wake up, she goes, oh, I'm going to take pizza for my lunch. How come there's no slices left? And instead of me saying to my wife, oh, I'm sorry, honey, I ate them, I would blame it on my kids. How horrible is that, that you put Mm -hmm. blame? And it's not, I don't think it was intentionally. It was, instead of just admitting the fact that, listen, I got a problem, I ate them, I would throw the blame on my kids. So when I started my journey, that was the first move I had made with my family is I honed up, fessed up to everything. I would uh, tell them, you know, everything I did because I need feel like I needed to have a clear conscience going into this, my next part of my journey. And, uh, Good for you. you know, like to me, that that's probably the biggest part of the whole situation that came out is that I was able to open up to my family and my loved ones. Like I would hide, hide food from them. And why, why should I hide food from them? I'm, a 40 year old yeah. chef, you know, man, I can buy what I want, but I, I would like, uh, come home from work. I would go stop at a local burger's place, get two burgers, eat them before I even got home, throw the, throw the wrappers in a garbage can. So my wife wouldn't see come in and eat supper just cause I was mm-hmm. worried that what she would think. Like that, mm-hmm. you know, I get it. Yeah. I get it. I absolutely get it. I, I first let's acknowledge that that openness and that honesty around all of that because you're not the only one, Derek, who's who's been through that. Yeah. Um, and for me, I, I went through that when I was married, where I would hide a McDonald's wrapper, uh, not because I was overeating like you were going yeah. through, but because I would the judgment would be there from the people I had surround myself with, like, oh my god, how can you eat that crap? Blah 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 blah. Well, you know what? Today's world is. I love a good quarter pounder with cheese. I just, now that I don't have to hide it, I, I also don't crave it anymore either. It's not a forbidden fruit so more. So I changed some of the people who I hung out with for me. If you're, it's different, but this, you see the common thread, right? And I just want you to know you're not alone as you go through this, that we all go through our own versions of this. Yeah. Now yours scaled to a point where uh, your, your health is threatened. 
Um, what's your wife's name? My wife's name is uh, Angie. Angie. Yeah. Uh, did it occur to you when you fell yeah. and you could not get up? Um, what that's like for Angie to know that she can't help you if you are in trouble? Yeah, I think that, and that's like, it would really open my eyes too, is like, I can't pick my own self up. How am I going to expect if anything does happen? Like even me, all my wife, my kids, whoever to pick me up. Like I need, mm -hmm. eventually I needed to accept the fact. And I, you know, I did I, with everything and I need to start putting myself first. Like, it, um, you made your defeats, you're broken. It's okay to talk, reach out for help. I would always tell my friends, you know, you see all like, oh, we're doing a brother's check. If you're not feeling well, reach out. And I'll be the first one to say, hey, man, like, here's my cell phone, call me, you're not feeling well. But in the fact was, I was hiding it from everybody else, too. So how yeah. can I help my friends heal when I can't help myself heal? Yeah. So... I just had that with my buddy Fred, by the way. Um, we're very good at burying ourselves in work, both yep. of us. And we want to be better at being friends in all of our relationships. And we actually just like, it was probably not even two weeks ago. We just made a deal about, you know what? It's never, it's never a thing. When you find that you've slipped into that coverage up, that out of integrity piece that you're talking about, then we can, um, we just made it a free pass. All you have to do is phone and just say, I did it again. And that's it. And it's like, okay, cool. What's going on? And that's it. So we created that that little escape, yeah. a healthy escape this time, Derek, like you're talking about and, and cleaning it up with your friends. Yeah. So that's so good. Where are you at now? Because, um, um, you know, global, we have a link from Nova Scotia's global channel to to share uh, with, uh, with everybody at shiftheads.ca on our Facebook group so they can read and see the TV version of yeah. this that you did. So where are you at today? And then we'll get to the inspiration part. So when I started at the end of January, when I finally made the decision that this is it, I'm putting myself first, I'm going in all in, I have to. You know, there's only so much that doctors and nurses can do for somebody. Eventually, you need to try help yourself. Like, I need to get better to help Jake make myself healthy. So I said, this is it. You know what? Like, I basically, I'll be honest with you, Sean, like for me to get up from my chair to go to the bathroom was probably a 10 minute thing. Like I was in so much pain. I could hardly move. Mm. Uh, so I said, obviously right now, exercise is out of the, out of the, out of the key. Like I can't, I can't do anything yet. I can barely get myself ready. So I said, I'm just going to concentrate. And what do I know best? Well, I know how to eat. I know that's one thing I know. And I know how to make things for myself. I'm a chef. Mm -hmm. And I know, always knew with the right types of food that I need to be eating. But do you eat it? No, you don't, you know, so I just concentrated on healthy eating, high protein, lots of whole fruits, vegetables. I had balanced meals, limited my carbohydrates. And I said, I'm going to try that. I said, if I see any change within the first couple of weeks, I'm going to keep going. Well, I couldn't find a scale to fit me. So I had to order one. Out. I guess not all scales go up to 600 pounds, do they? 400 pounds, usually most places. I mean, some doctor's office will have the occasional 450 Uh so I ordered one off Amazon. It was a scale that a company would purchase to weigh packages and, and send out to their clients. So the, the packages. Oh, that's a grounding moment, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So at that point, it was about three weeks in. I knew I had lost some weight. I could tell by clothes, to even just fitting in my vehicle. Certain things will show me, the world will show me signs that this is working. Uh, you know, drinking lots of water. I drink four liters of water now a day. Like just. Wow. So. I weighed myself, but I knew it would be in the 500 pounds, obviously, because it's a scale size. 
But then when I seen three weeks in uh, five sixty one, I was like, whoa, this is uh, this is more than I thought, kind of thing, right? But the positive side of me was now starting to think a lot more than the negative of, Hey, listen, Dirk, yeah, you're four, you're five sixty one right now, but you just did three weeks of nailing down good food. You did everything right. And you see signs. So this was a positive reinforcement for me. You got to keep going. So a couple more weeks, I started seeing the weight the scale now was going down by five, six pounds a week. Got to the point where I got down to about 55 pounds. And I said, I'm big on Twitter, just mostly follow my Blue Jays. I'm a big, massive Toronto Blue Jay fan, like most Canadians are. Uh, so I had made some friends on the Blue Jays uh, Twitter. So I said, hey, I didn't want to post on Facebook for family and friends to see because I was scared that if I failed again, I'd look like a failure. And then that, that would have been it. I wouldn't probably would not be here today to tell the story, to be honest with you. Uh, so I may put it out a progress pick that, Hey, like, cause I told some people I was losing weight and I said, there's what it is. And you know, at that thing, I think it was like eight weeks. I'm 55 pounds down. And all of a sudden, like just, you know, posts starts dinging people are commenting George Strombo from CB, you know, from the, you know, grew up watching George Strombo. He was like, yeah, oh, I used to be on much music yeah, and all know, like places. You're, yep. you're growing up watching them the, the hour, like on you know, CBC, like, so he commented on it, and then it kind of went a little viral. I got like 150,000 views, which I'm totally not in this for the views. I'm in it for myself. And then the next day, I, I think I wake up, and uh, it's like someone's – the next day I wake up, I had a couple of interviews. I did like local radio stations and uh, stuff around here. And then my phone just starts going haywire, and uh, my wife's like, what is going on? She's like, you got to turn that thing off. It's too much dings. And I look on Twitter and someone's like, do you realize you just got retweeted by Arnold Schwarzenegger? And I was like, well, I kind of do now. And it just mm. blew up from there. Like, I think I'm sitting at like a million views on that one post. Like, but it was, it's amazing. it was the message that inspired me the most through him. He could have just did a simple retweet like, like anybody, you know, anybody else. Like, Hey, Oh, there's a guy, you know, goes to make retweet, but he stopped. And he was like, people are asking me to, uh, to give you words on curves and put, you don't need words and curves. You're doing it. Like right now, I just want to tell you, I'm proud of you and to keep going. Like, so for him to stop and just give me that personal shout out was, was pretty incredible, you know, like it, but kind of put everything into perspective into perspective. And I was like, you know what, like what I'm doing here, it's good. Like, I didn't need Arnold's approval and I didn't need anybody mm-hmm. else's approval, but it gave me that little extra step that it's like, Hey, people around the world and Canada and everything like they're truly in it to support me and help me out through this. Like I, it gave you a little extra boost. You know, it was welcome. Well, I I want to add to that yeah. because I don't know if you know this about Arnold Schwarzenegger right now, but he has a new project that has nothing to do with fitness. It has to do with um, conspiracies and hate and all those things. Oh. Where he grew up in Europe, he um, his dad was a Nazi. He shared that openly and he started sharing it again. And the reason why is he's seen in his own family how people get sucked into hate and people get sucked into um, some of the vitriol that we're seeing in politics and online. So he's taken on this whole new stand uh, uh, against that stuff. So the reason why I bring that up is because he's got his own things he's working on and he still takes the time to acknowledge this, right? Like it's so it's he's not just sitting there being the former governor. Uh, the governor <laughs> and he's not just sitting there being an actor or any of those things. Like he does have his own things that he is very much standing in doing interviews about working hard on. 
and he still has time to uh, acknowledge what it is that you're going through. Because uh, I don't think many people realize how, how busy he is yep. on top of the fact that he doesn't have to do anything and, and here he is doing it for you. So that's amazing to me. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And it, it just, you know, like, uh, it gave me a little bit of boost. And then of course, with that going viral, then my family starts seeing it and everyone on Facebook and they're like, Hey, I didn't know you're up to this. And I was like, well, su you. surprise, you know? So now I'm, uh, that was uh, two weeks ago. So now I am in week 11 and I am now currently 517 pounds. I am 17 pounds away from never seeing 500 again. That's my first goal. I love that phrase, by the yeah. way. Um, it's not about being below that number. It's about never seeing that never number seen again. It. And that's the way you phrase yeah. it. Like right? to me, there's there's no set number of what I want to get down to. I just want to be healthy. If it's at 250, if it's at three, and the doctor said everything's good, I'm good. But it, it, to me, more so with small victories. You know, things that I haven't been able to do in the last few years that Simple things like tying my shoe, putting on my own socks, picking myself up when I fall. Like that's yeah. that's that's a big goal for me, you know. What is it? Uh, what does it look like with you know your family, your kids, your wife, uh, rebuilding or or reinventing? I'm gonna say rebuilding because that implies they're broken. I don't want to say that reinventing those relationships uh, with a little vitality plugged in because the photos are staggering. By the way, the black t-shirt photo versus your green yeah. t-shirt, like there is a night and day difference uh, just in the shape of yeah. you. Yeah, oh, 100%. Yeah. And yeah. with the whole family thing, it, it, if anything, it's just, it's brought me, we were always a close family, but it brought us closer now than we ever known. And like my wife is doing the journey with me. Uh, you know, she kind of follows on the same things I eat within, like we do a calorie counting. So obviously she does a little different, but uh, she's down like, you know, 40 pounds herself and she looks amazing. Good for her. And, Honestly, I wouldn't be able to do this with other, but like what I told her, I was like, listen, you can do it with me or you can do it without me. I'm not forcing you. Uh, you do you and like, you know, this is as much for you as it is for me, but her being so supportive and it's helped me, you know, and even like just the whole thing with my kids. Like I, I think now they kind of seen where I was at, not realizing that you always trying to put up a cover for your kids and show them that you're, you know, you don't hurt or you don't feel any emotion, but it's you know time that I show them that we are human. You know we we do have to talk yeah. about our mistakes. A lot of men don't. How old are they? My daughter will be twenty one, and my son will be eighteen. Yeah, you know I uh, I've been through this recently that uh, my son is eighteen, my daughter's almost seventeen, so they're just about time to move out. Yeah. And they um you know it's it's one of the things that I've learned about parenting is that when you start to share yourself with your kids. Um, you, the relationship just explodes. Right. Yep. Um, and we sort of have this notion as parents that we shouldn't, that, you know, we got to be perfect. We got to be the good role model. Da, 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 da. Turns out being a good role model is actually getting it wrong sometimes and, and being able to live into that. So that's exciting too, for, for what you're going to get to do with your kids. Now. Yeah. Like, like I remember growing up, my father, you know, cause they were always taught the same thing. Men don't cry. You hide, you don't, you don't show emotion. You work through with your problems. Your problems aren't anybody else's kind of thing. Right. And kids these days, we got to start listening to a lot of youth. Like they're, they're smarter than we all give them credit for. Like a lot of, you know, yep. mental health and everything is huge right now. And kids are talking about it. And I find as adults, sometimes we don't always pay attention to that. You know, like we kind of brush them all out or just kids, but Really, I mean, we can learn a lot from kids at any age, like you know. And uh, I think it's important that you do talk 
and talk about your mental health and be open. But there are people out there to help you, whether it's just offering you supportive words of comfort to get you through it, or maybe they're there personally for you. But it's um, it's something that I think everyone should make more um, use of, you know, get comfortable with. It. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of statements I want to offer that we take a stand here on the show from what you're saying. Yeah. And the first one is, is we often as parents think that we, we need to teach kids how to be kids. Yeah. Uh, we don't. They got that part figured out. We need to teach them how to be adults, right? And in fact, when it turns out, they're the ones who are reminding us how to be kids in the first place. And, and that's so incredibly important for us to remember because that's the good stuff. Yeah. And the other part that we take a stand in here uh, that I do on the shift is um, when men learn how to speak to men that's when we improve our relationships with women and children. And so some of the things that you're taking on right now and you're leading by example, even in this conversation with your open-hearted sharing, I'm guessing six months ago, there's no hope in hell we would have had this Never. conversation, right? Because your integrity is pretty square now. Like you're, you're pretty solid in that center and it will break down and you're going to screw it up. And that's, that's oh, what yeah. happens. But, um, but it's how you clean it up. Right. Um, and I always, in my writing that I, I share on the Facebook group and stuff is the difference between an error and a mistake is we never talk about errors because we just fix them, clean them up and move on mistakes. We like to get dramatic about and tell people, and that's the difference, right? Oh, you won't believe the mistake I made And Oh, I got to tell you all about it. Cause here's me being dramatic and a victim. And then, but an error, we just clean it up and move along. And we don't really tell people because we don't have to, cause it's not impactful. We learn from it. It's kind of like that whole, there's winning and learning, not winning and losing. Yeah. Like we, um, which is fascinating. We had talked about earlier about um, me taking, like I said, I always take the easy route. You know, I would go for the comfort. Well, I'm tired of taking the easy route now. Like, easy just robbing me. Taking the easy route is just robbing me of being proud of myself. And I, for the first time in my life, I'm proud of myself. And I don't think I ever said that before in my life. Everything I ever did, I, was, I never gave myself the praise. But today, you know, as it stands, I am 100% proud of myself. I, everything I've done in the last 11 weeks, I worked my butt off, literally. Pun, literally. Pun intended. You, uh, you've worked out, worked your butt off, your belly off, right? all the things. Like, I, and I, like um, I say, I know I'm, there'll be days where I might mess up, but I know I laid the groundwork now that I'm going to be successful because I see the big picture now, and it's being healthy and enjoying life. You know, I, I want to get my – I'm tired of living life with restrictions. I'm taking my restrictions back you know i'm gonna live my life to the fullest yeah it's so funny hey when you put structure in freedom comes and it seems so counterintuitive um but yet here it is uh i just want you to know uh it's exciting for me to hear you say that you're proud of yourself we've just met uh, but here is what i would like to offer to you um i would like to offer that i i really feel like i see you derek thanks to your sharing i want you to know that i feel proud of you even though i just met you I want you to know that you are accomplishing things that I, in my life and my diet and my vitality that I am struggling to accomplish and you're knocking it out. So that's inspiring to me. So you are inspiring to me. Um, the process of 600 to 515 pounds and all the way down that you go uh, below 500 to never see that number again is inspiring to everybody. And there's one quote that I like to share that I think is really, really relevant in this that I wrote this summer and I've shared it before. So uh, some of the audience might've heard it before, but I'll share it because I'm assuming you haven't yeah. because this is about you loving you. And 
love is the word we use to render presence and connection. And to me, I see here a whole new level of self-love because I see a whole new level of presence and a whole new level of connection to you, your body, your future, and everyone around you. And that's remarkable, Derek. Thank you. I like that quote. I'm going to use that one. <laughs> Feel free. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad to share yeah. it. Thanks for being here, bud. Uh, good or bad, yeah. success or failure. Yeah. I would like to continue this conversation and give you a safe, safe place to go through that with us. The invitation is there. You can decline. Yeah. Um, I would love it if you accepted and we will continue this conversation. Besides, we don't talk about Nova Scotia enough. So maybe we should talk about healthy food in Nova Scotia and all the great things that you, uh, you uh, maritimers get up to. Troublemakers you are. <laughs> yeah. God. Yeah, absolutely. I, I accept that, that invitation for sure. Yeah. This is the Shift Podcast. Um, it's time for us to go to Kiev, Ukraine, and talk to one of our friends of the Shift and all-around awesome fellas, Stepan Berko. Joins us. Stepan is a, a lawyer. He's an advocate. He works inside DeJure, which is an organization that is for building uh, the democracy in Ukraine. It's for the future of Ukraine, getting rid of old world stuff, new world things. And uh, Stepan, how are you? You can hear me okay? Hi, Shane. I can hear you well. Perfect. If we do lose this connection, uh, try to jump on the Zoom call and drop this one, by the way, or we will um, we'll phone you, okay, just so you know as a backup, because I know we've been having okay. some internet burps there. Yep. Um, I heard a really great phrase, and I, I don't recall it perfectly, Stepan, but uh, the, the, the way that it was, I think it was on Twitter, actually, Actually, I think it was something Mikhailo might even uh, shared out was that um, it was something along the lines of sort of, you know, former Soviet Union and how that there's that phrase about Ukraine of the for former Soviet Union. And there seems to be a bit of a push. I don't know if it's just a a bit of a storyline or a narrative that somebody's trying to do. I think it's a very good one as a guy who, uh, you know, subscribes to the notion that language changes our world, that. When we continue to refer to Ukraine as former Soviet Union, we're, we're doing Ukraine a disservice because that world uh, is that's the past. It's the old world. And, you know, most of Ukraine is building Ukraine. And and I think that we do Ukraine better when we stop saying that. Have you heard any conversation with your colleagues or friends around that notion just to stop calling Ukraine former USSR? Oh, yes, this is uh, something that's been uh, around for some years uh, that uh, it's it's already 30 years that since the Soviet Union collapsed and we're still uh, on and on. Yes, and we still on and on um, name this uh, um, this country. So mm -hmm. it, it seems like it would be the same if, for example, Canada would be called former British Empire country. <laughs> Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I know it, is, it sounds right? strange, but for yeah, but for Ukraine, it's like reality. And uh, I think um, uh, we have to get rid of this uh, post-imperial vision of countries and using these cliches just to uh, just to name countries. And I think when when you say post-Soviet country, it brings some uh, context 
that might not work anymore because 30 mm -hmm. years and uh, different countries that uh, at some point were part of the Soviet Union went different paths. Uh, it's it's uh, it's a totally different system in Ukraine or Baltic countries and for example in uh, uh, Azerbaijan or, or even Turkmenistan or even mm -hmm. Russia so yes I agree that this is something that should be more and more common not to use this cliche phrase yeah it, it diminishes what it is today i mean if you look at barbados and some of those countries that you know the they have separated from um you know the english uh, commonwealth and all that stuff uh, although they're still part of the community like i think they've done a good job in some of those countries and you can we can really look to countries like that that have been said hey look barbados is you know we're proud of some of the pieces of the connection it's been a long time we're moving on we're creating this new version and we are known for more than just our past that's why we're doing it i i just it really occurred to me differently one of those things where you you, you ask yourself i don't know why i didn't ever think of that before uh, but it really does diminish what the work that all of the your colleagues are doing and everybody who's regardless of their political stripe in Ukraine, um, doing to build their version of the future of the country. I think we diminish it if we don't acknowledge that part. Of course, of course, because if you if you would say that the history of Soviet Union is 70 years of uh, Soviet empire and it's already 30 years of independent states. So right. it seems like we have to wait at least 40 more years for equaling this history out and making sure that nobody is using this um, this phrase, this notion again. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, right. And you're, you're almost halfway there, which is crazy. It's kind of like when you think of a relationship, right? You can be in a relationship with somebody. You can be like, you know, I've been out of this relationship longer than I was ever in it. And you still call me so-and-so's ex, right? This is weird. People are weird yes, that way. Yes, exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Has there been like this? There hasn't been this massive thing yet. Um, what's the what's the general perception of you know you've got friends who are fighting in in this um, th that's going on? Of course, everybody is anticipating uh, this offensive, uh, and I would say that many people, general public, are very heated up. You know, everybody wants to see some results, but at the same time, I would say that people. At least I want to believe that the uh, majority um, understands that this offensive will uh, come with uh, many, many casualties and it will be not easy. Of course, Russia is on the defensive and they've been working hard to make their lines uh, strong. Uh, that will be hard to, to assault. So everybody's ready. Everybody wishes uh, that uh, this, this moment comes. Um, I would say some people even are not um, patient enough. They want to they want to say, okay, why not? Why don't you start already? So I would say it's for some it's uh, psychologically complicated to to kind of live in this anticipation of, of this offensive. And also, uh, I would say that many feel that there is a pressure from the from the countries that support Ukraine, from Western countries, uh, pressure of. Uh, um, I would say expected successes and uh, it seems like uh, uh, the more successful is this counteroffensive, the more chances there are that there are that we will 
keep being supported by the West. Uh, and I think this is something that's kind of not, not fair because, uh, it seems like uh, we're having a football match and there, there are some viewers that want to, uh, win, uh, they want the team they're cheering for win the game and, uh, that they perceive this as a football, football match, but this is not. Uh, such a thing and uh, you know war is very unpredictable you can be very very prepared much prepared but something goes wrong and uh, it doesn't go as planned so um yes some thoughts like that mm -hmm. um yeah people do seem to misunderstand right they seem to take it as like come on why don't you just do it already uh if you've studied any of the war stuff in the in, in history is that typically winters are buttoned down and with that comes restocking, with that comes preparations and planning. At the same time, though, hardening defenses is also something else that happens, right? So it's almost worse because everybody's more prepared, regardless of who's going to be moving and not moving in all of this. Um, do you get reminded of that? I mean, we talked in the very beginning, Stepan, about we don't want this to become normal, yet here we are having a conversation. It's I can see the sunshine on your face on our Zoom call. Right. You're going to work. It's, uh, or well, I guess it's, it's the weekend for you this weekend, but you know, we're just about getting ready to go to work for a Friday. And, and, um, and you know, here, here, here we are just talking about it like it's a normal conversation. Right. So do you get regrounded by that at times like this where you're like, yeah, you know what? None of this is okay. None of this is normal. Uh, but yet it kind of has to be in order to make you through it. I mean, you talked about the psychological impact. I mean, that would be huge. Jane, every day, every day you uh, try to get used to it, to life like this, and every day you remind yourself that this is not normal. And uh, you both have to be uh, empathic to people who suffer, and you both have to make sure that you're not losing your mind, uh, um, losing your mind thinking of each and every suffering that happens in your country. I mean. Just for example, today at night we had a missile attack and a residential building uh, was hit and a whole part of the big apartment building collapsed and, collapsed and many people died there, including children. So you wake up with news like that, you're obviously shocked and it influences on how you behave, how you do your work, but at the same time, you somehow can have to get yourself together and just do what you have to do. So I think this is what happening every day. You every day uh, listen to this, uh, try to get used to it, but at the same time, try you remind yourself that this is not normal. We have to do everything to stop this. The humanity part must be difficult. You know, one of the things that we'll say in English is rubbernecking, or you know, when there's a, an accident, car crash on the road. Everybody rubbernecks. They, they, they turn their neck, they slow down and they drive terribly because they got to see the crash, right? That's, that's rubbernecking is, as, as terrible as that is. Um, the English language is terrible. The, uh, but when things like this happen in your city though, is it hard to not go to these neighborhoods? I mean, Kiva's a big place. So, um, you know, when rockets hit buildings in your city, do you purposely have to stay away from that just to protect yourself a little bit? It must feel compelling to see it. Um, is that a battle that, that you and your, your colleagues and friends go through 
uh, every day? Because you know, I would imagine it would be, and I'm only guessing, I would imagine it's it's um it's a lot like a a fire, a crash, any tragedy. Sometimes you feel compelled to see it, or do you have to purposely stay away? So many tragedies happen as uh, happened since February 24th that it's not. There's no this. I think there's no surprise anymore, and no, uh, no, uh, no will to see something like that. Of course, when you pass through some location where a missile hit, and you see buildings, and you see, um, you know, trees destroyed. Uh, it kind of brings you some memories of the moment when you first heard heard of this of this um, this particular explosion. You think of people who died there, and of course, I mean something that comes to your mind. If I were at this place at that moment, I would be dead or whatever. I don't know, yeah. injured. And uh, yeah, some thoughts come like this. I wouldn't say that people want to see these places, you know, because they are curious. So I wouldn't say that people have some curiosity. It's all around. Uh, so I think people lost their curiosity already. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think some memories are, are brought when people pass these places, maybe for the first time. When you pass this place for a third or fourth time, you don't, you don't, you don't think about this tragedy, uh, tragedy anymore. That's uh, got to be hard. Um, I, I, that's a naive question by me, but it, it, to me, it's, I, I ask that question because that's the disparity between our life every day and what your life is today, every day, right? I mean, that's the, those are the different things that, that we go through. Stefan Berko is our guest. He's in Kiev, Ukraine. Um, he's a dad. I would like to ask that uh, question about your family in one second, but first, um, how is your dad? Your dad was uh, in Lviv. You got some time with him a year ago. Um, how, how are the families doing the extended family, um, far away from you, but still, still in the country? Yes, they're, my parents are great, uh, more or less safe in Western Ukraine, uh, less, uh, air alerts there. My mom came back from Italy where she stayed for, for, for a few months. Uh, so good, good things with him. Everything is fine. Oh, that's lovely. I'm glad to hear that. Okay, I'd asked the question before we lost the connection there about families like yours. What's the general tone, parents? Uh, you had shared with us before about sending your child to kindergarten as the stressful, most stressful part of the week um, because you're trusting others to care for them. Um, how do you step into this beautiful springtime and this sort of rebirth of all the things? Inspired to get out, probably do some more of the family things. And uh, what does that look like for you young parents? Yeah, it's an opportunity to to feel that life is has has its own cycles. That this, despite uh, everything that's going on, uh, we still can enjoy uh, spring, flowers, trees blooming, and that makes it easier to to get through some bad news that we hear every day. Mm. And um, for me, as a parent, <laughs> there has been a new thing going on my my son just recently has he asked me uh w- whether i have to go to military um, but because i was explaining him that more and more people are drafted because more and more uh um, people are wounded and he 
um, he didn't like my answer that there is a possibility for every you know man to to be uh, drafted to military and uh, he doesn't like that so I think many many families in Ukraine have conversations like that um, and many more families have situations when their loved ones have to be on front lines so um, it's like you know two sides two sides uh, of life one is uh, uh, this part of having spring and having nice time outside and then another part you know having conversations like that having some things connected to war uh, despite these these new and war days have you had to face the young innocent questions of the children when they ask you incredibly direct questions that you as a parent, you're like, whoa, how am I going to navigate that one? Have you, uh, because I mean, I imagine through the stories at kindergarten and the little kids about, you know, you know, uh, Uncle Steve has got to go to war and, and my mom's in Italy or, or right. And, and stuff like that. I mean, there must be some really direct questions that come from the babes. Yeah. One of the questions that my son asked me was why Russians are so evil. Why don't why don't they just stop fighting and we live uh, in you know in peace? <laughs> How can you answer this question? I mean, this is like a one billion dollar question. Why do people do things? And it's really complicated to explain to a small child uh, th these complicated things. It's hard to to explain to an adult, uh, and it's even more hard to explain it to a child. But I mean, you have to try. I try to tell him that uh, sometimes people believe in in some stupid things, and they want to make themselves look better than they are, and maybe that's why they decide to 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 worse. Yeah. Or it's even sometimes easier. So, you know, uh, burglars or uh, people who want to steal someone's stuff. They just become uh, heads of states, and then they do the same things with states. I mean, that's that easy. Well, I always say uh, when my kids make flippant comments, right, as they learn the boundaries about judgment, and, and I always say to them, look, you have to understand jerks are jerks. It doesn't matter where they come from. It doesn't I mean there are good people there. There are bad people there. But jerks are jerks, and their jerks are always going to be jerks. And uh, and I don't know how to navigate it beyond that yet. So when I figure it, I'll let you know. And if you beat me to it and you figure it out, please let me know because I could use your help on that one. Oh, great. man. Agreed. Stephen Berko joins us. Kiev, Ukraine, brother. Thanks so much for jumping on. It's great to see your face and hear your voice and uh, pass our best on to your wife and, and, and your dad, please. And um, And we will chat with you again soon. Stay safe, brother. Thank you, Shane. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you? Are you? Are you? Okay. 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 Are you okay with? 877-399-9898. That is uh, our phone number here for you to contribute to these stories. Are you okay with? American Pie. Uh, yes, just the trumpet thing was weird, but that was just me. The trumpet? I've never actually seen American Pie. Never. Oh, the movie? Which is, yeah, and the reason is that it fell into this category when I was a kid of 
you, Ryan, you can never watch this from my parents. And like you know the why? two that come to mind are South Park and American Pie. The difference between those two is I've watched every episode of South Park probably five or six times since, and I still have never gotten around to watching American Pie. But I've heard that the first one holds up pretty well, and I'd watch it just to see Jennifer Coolidge be. It depends on. I've I've heard the legends of that. Yeah, well, the trumpet part is one of the reasons why. Um, And also, you are also a fan of going to camp, so that's probably a thing. Um, and what I, I think I that camp, I would like yeah. to challenge you to do, I would like you to watch American Pie, and then I would camp. like you to text your father, be like, Faja, My I understand Faja. why you did not want me to watch this movie. <laughs> yeah, I can understand why they didn't want me to watch South Park either. <laughs> I can remember they had season one on VHS in the laundry room. And I like reached to the top shelf and pulled it down. I went, Mom, Dad, can I watch this? And I'm pretty sure my dad like slapped it out of my hands. Never. You're so, talking about South yeah, Park. Yeah, American Pie falls into that. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, <laughs> that's crazy parenting of those dirty movies they kept hidden up in the laundry mm-hmm. room, the South Park series. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. So uh, we're not talking about the uh, movie, by the way. We're talking about the song. Oh. American Pie by Don McLean. It's a masterpiece of American rock and roll. Ryan, it is long. You must love it. You love long things that waste time. Uh, it, it's not a waste of time. I I, I adore American Pie. And, the, you know, the, the funny thing about that song is the first time I ever heard it, much like actually Bohemian Rhapsody, was at summer camp. Uh, it was this, yeah, an eight-minute, 36-second-long song that played in the dining hall. So all these theater kids, the song comes up, and a bunch of people stand up and know it line by line. And I'm like, how, how and why? And so when I went home from camp that year, I downloaded a bunch of these songs. And yeah, American Pie has really stuck with me ever since. I think it's, like, it's just such an amazing ballad. I just and Nobody makes music like that anymore. Not like that. No. I don't think you can anymore. Right? No, there's and not so, enough time. And yes, everyone's too busy. <laughs> okay, <laughs> there's a place for long songs, man. Uh, mm-hmm. This is the guy who on Millennial on the Radio talked about this week about a, a guy that's created an album that's like six hours long or something crazy. Nine and a half. Oh, there you go. See, <laughs> nine and a half actually. Yeah. So don't trust Ryan's perspective or judgment on this. It's not good. Not reliable. Uh, the meaning behind the lyrics is still debated to this day about American Pie and Don McLean. Um, Madonna's version certainly challenged a lot of perspective on it too. This one meaning though is for certain. The song is loved by millions of people around the world, especially South Korea. The nation's president, Yoon Suk Yol stole, nope, sorry, Yoon Suk Yol, Suk Yol, God, names are those strange ones. You gotta get them right. You know, you wanna respect the person. Anyway, the president, my apologies, stole the show at Wednesday's White House state dinner with a rendition of the song. President Joe mm-hmm. Biden had to talk him into it, but the South Korean leader had no issue belting out his favorite tune. We know this is uh, one of your favorite songs, American Pie. American Pie is Yes, that's true. Yes, when I was in going to school, it was one of my favorite songs. Well, we wanted to hear you sing it. <laughs> I can't remember if I tried when I read about his widow bride. Something touched me deep inside the day the music 
da. I love the fact that he did it. I mean, obviously incredible, right? Like, and did a great job with it. But English as a second language had the courage to stand up in front of a crowd and sing in another language. I mean, that's wicked. You can hear the translator telling him, by the way, this is what you're going to do. In front of the U.S. president, in front of the yeah. most powerful human being on the planet, this guy goes, I'm ready to sing the anthem of this man's nation. And it's I so felt good. like singing along with him. I love this. This is like this is a nice reminder of what diplomacy between countries can be when we're not all being tilted and angry at each other for no good reason. Now, this story doesn't end there. Biden had a little gift ready for President Yolto. You know, uh, we understand that uh, you like the guitar as well. He had the jazz in that well. Now, there's a fellow who wrote that song, Miss American Pie, that uh, couldn't be here tonight. But he wanted you to have his signed guitar. Don McLean. Don McLean. Don McLean. Joe Biden had to try to remember what his name was, I'm sure. Um, okay. An analysis of the song. Come on, he forgets stuff all the time. An analysis of the song on McLean's website says, say, say is that the song presents an abstract story of McLean's life from the mid 1950s until the end of the 1960s. And at the same time, it represents the evolution of popular music and politics over these years, from the lightness of the 1950s to the darkness of the late 1960s. Pretty good. You talk about diplomacy, autograph guitar. There's a lot of cool stuff happening there in that story. I love that. Mm. It's not very often we get a political nope. story that we can appreciate, eh? No. It, yeah, it's kind of, it's incredibly refreshing to have a political are you okay that's not like a giant facepalm. It's just like, mm. oh, that was nice. Yeah. Yeah. We could talk about C11 getting pushed through in Canada on Thursday. You want to know? Should we save that for tomorrow? Well, it's Friday. So let's do it on Monday. All right. <laughs> are you okay with... Being a fan. Oh, Ryan's about to have a yeah, family I'm... weekend. It's embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, oh, yeah, I'm about to nerd out. Yeah, I, I really do like being a fan. I think the best part of being a fan is finding other people that love something as much as you do, sharing your passion, your thoughts, your ideas. Now, sometimes that can get toxic, especially online. But uh, yeah, this weekend in Calgary is Fan Expo Calgary and uh, the calgary comic expo and yeah the guy who plays anakin skywalker from star wars is going to be there hayden christensen uh Gollum from lord of the rings andy circus he's going to be there uh some of the actors from stranger things like there's a great cast of people there that uh, i'm gonna get to meet and sam raimi who made spider-man and evil dead like these are people where there's these movies have really impacted my life and uh who i am what i enjoy and what i seek out in day-to-day -day life uh and it's cool to celebrate that and then get to meet them and be a fan of them and tell them without being creepy that's the fine line that i'm gonna have to dance on uh on uh, on saturday so uh, yeah hmm. oh by the way if you're going i'm gonna be uh dressed up i'll just look for a guy in a jacket that's covered in fake blood wearing a chicken mask and that's me okay i thought you were being batman. Yep, i'll post a picture at shiftheads.ca it's from uh it's from a video game yeah but weren't you being batman 
No, that was the backup costume. I was going to be Mayor Adam West as Batman, but uh, the the other one I put more work into, so I'm going to I'm going to bring that one at the expo. I love that you have more than one costume. I'm Batman. Just lying around. I have to. You think Batman doesn't have Batman has multiple suits for a reason, Shane? Like what was on. Kelsey's come what on. was Kelsey's go-to costume? Luigi. Luigi. Kelsey Campbell, Luigi. executive producer. That's yeah. her go-to. Yeah. Okay, um, anyway, Canada is home to a pretty famous fan, Raptors superfan, Nav Bathia. Now, he has attended almost every Toronto Raptors game since 1995. You probably know this guy. He's like super fan. He always wears the jersey. Uh, he wears a turban, and it usually matches his jersey. He's very well-coordinated. Temporarily ending in 2020, we could no longer attend the games in person due to COVID. But it was a dream come true for a grade 5 student in Halifax who never imagined his project on Toronto Raptors super fan, Mr. Nav, would result in not meeting the team so much as meeting the fan it was like wow he's actually doing this with me i was like just because i did like a project on him i thought wow it all began after batia received a photo of tracy beside his project the raptor superfan tweeted at global halifax to help him find the fifth grader one day and many miles later the superfan found his superfan alex good morning good morning you're looking, you're looking, you're looking very good. Thank you're looking you. very good. The full-time businessman and Canadian icon was granted the superfan status due to his unwavering loyalty to the Toronto Raptors, attending every home game since 1995. Batia says it's always nice meeting fans from around the country, especially young fans. It's so touching. I mean, of all the people, you know, the Canadians he has to do, he picked up a picked up me, the superfan, for that story. Tracy and his classmates spent an hour with the superfan, asking him questions and getting some uplifting words in the process. If yes. somebody is down, you pick him or her up. Yes. Okay? And you always win as a team. Raptors won as a team. That guy is so cool. And that kid's cool, too. I love him. Now, yeah. Badia said that he always enjoys meeting fans, which is because he's a fan, and giving back to the country that accepted him is important. He had one last surprise for Alex, an in-person meeting courtside when he's in Toronto. Now, here's the thing about Mr. Batia. He's 71. Mm -hmm. He's also, he's owned car dealerships and currently owns uh, a Hyundai dealership, which is one of the highest performing Hyundai dealerships in Canada, by the way. So he is a hardworking businessman too. 71. Do you believe that? Like you never know. Like here's, he's energetic and up and giving her and that's cool. He has his own Wikipedia page. That's how I found that out. So. Thanks for listening to the shift podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple podcast, Google podcast, Spotify and curious cast.ca.